Saturday before Easter, Mike just let me know that uh, Teen Challenge burned their mortgage. How about that, huh? Oh, mortgage burning. Mike, we got to move this back. Things get a little wild sometimes. You never really know what's going to happen here. Okay, uh, I have a, a young man I want to uh, invite up to the uh, platform. Uh, Clay, come up here, brother. About uh, six, seven years ago, uh, I just uh, felt a little bit of a nudge that we needed to uh, have some security on our campus. And the Lord provided us with Clay Bryson. Come up here, Clay. And uh, boy, am I glad he did. Um, he looks after us and he looks after our children each and every Sunday. And you'll see him walking around the building being a good steward of the opportunity that we have to worship without any worry or concern. And for that, I'm deeply grateful. Uh, he also is running for Sheriff of Macon County. How many Macon County uh, people do we have here? Okay, all four of you. That's great. Five. That's wonderful. Bill, Bill, you only get one vote. Don't raise two hands. It's, it's inappropriate. Uh, so we, as you know, we don't endorse candidates, but we do pray over them. Now, the Bible says that God promotes people into office like this, which is true, but if you think about it, to do so, he really has to get the people of Macon County on board with him, right? So the people of Macon County need to be hearing from the Lord. Now, that's a prayer right there. That's a prayer. And um, as you can see, this ministry, this church, is very intentional about uh, in intercepting and interjecting ourselves into ministries that are all about addiction recovery and uh, stopping the spread of opiates, fentanyl, and there were all that other nonsense going on in our plateau and all around. We are in the thick of it. And Clay and I have had long discussions about not only how to, law enforcement can help in that regard, but also on the, on the back end, how do we have recovery uh, that keeps people from going back? Anyway, I want us to pray over Clay. Now, the primary is May 17th. Is that right? I said that, and then the actual, after that is when? Early voting starts Thursday. Early voting's Thursday, and the primary is May 17th. So you're making county people, you need to get, get people out to vote, right? So we want to pray over Clay. The last person we prayed over uh, that was running for office ended up the chief of staff. So you sure we want to pray over you? You sure that? That's the worst job in the world, I would think. All right. We appreciate you. I pray, Father, for favor upon this man. And nothing more, nothing short of, and nothing less than your good, pleasing, and perfect will. That whatever he pursues, he pursues with integrity, earnestness, zealousness, honesty, and that you, Lord, would speak to the people of Macon County in this very important position, and nothing less than your will would come to pass. I pray over Clay and his family favor, and a good name in the sight of God and man in all his endeavors. That you have taught him, trained him, positioned him, 
for such a time as this. Bring to pass whatever it is you desire and keep from coming to pass all that you don't desire. But let him take the way of honesty, prudence, wisdom, clarity, and integrity. Let his yes be yes and his no be no. And use him, Father, to be both merciful and just as sheriff or as a captain, whatever the case may be. And, Lord, protect this man and his brothers and sisters in arms and keep them from harm's way as like a wall of fire. This we ask you for, this we believe you for, and this we expect in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I appreciate you. All right, that was a halfway decent prayer, but we got to have another time of prayer for the election. You see that? Keep up the good work. Uh, I see that we have some visitors here from Easter Sunday that I haven't seen before. One on the front. Oh, Kyle, that's you. You got a haircut. Ooh. I'm sitting here all the time thinking we had a new guy in church. And Caroline, to be honest with you, I was kind of wondering what's going on, you know. Uh, I had no idea you had the back of a neck. That's fantastic. All right. Winds of change are blowing. Okay, let's, uh, let's go to the message, shall we? When I was a kid, and we had to go to our grandmother's house. Not had, we got to go. We got in one of those station wagons, you know, where the back seat's facing backwards. So there was always, and I think it was my brother, the way things turned out, I think it was my brother. He always knew where we'd been, but he had no idea where we were going. And I'm not sure things have changed since. But we'd get ornery, and we'd go like, man, this is getting to be a long drive. And somebody, usually me, I think, would say, when are we going to get there? And my dad would say something along the lines of, uh, when we get there. Then my mom would say something along the lines of, there's, hey, there's chocolate chip cookies right down there. My grandmother would just load us up with chips ahoy. But what was good about that was we had no concept of mileage. But we did know at the end there was going to be chocolate chip cookies. We did know that. We also knew that when the good humor man came in that white truck with his bell, it didn't matter how many cookies you had, my grandfather was going to make sure we were at the curb getting an ice cream. So my mom knew that we needed to know ultimately where we were headed. My poor brother only knew where we had been. Now, I think it's good every now and again in the Christian life that a pastor ought to say something along the lines of, okay, let's call time out. And let me remind you for a few moments where we're headed. Because it makes the struggle all that much more worth it. So I want to talk to you today about heaven. And I want you to listen closely as I listen closely. Because we need to keep our eye on the ball. Because that's our motivation. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's Jesus. And the worse this world gets, I think the more we need to be reminded of that. And to that end, I have this message for you. This past week on Wednesday morning, I got up. I've been getting up pretty early here recently. 5 a.m. is 4.45, 5 a.m., and, I, and I, I get a lot of work done between 5 and 7 and I was writing uh, a chapter uh, in a book 
that I'm writing. And uh, I came across this verse in the Lord's Prayer, uh, and, I, and I really got latched on to it, and I, and I really got going on it. Um, and it's this verse, verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I had about dissected that thing about as many times you, as you can over four or five cups of coffee in two hours. And then I went to an elders meeting. So I get to the elders meeting, and uh, Carl was the elder. We, tr- we rotate who does the devotion. So it was Carl's turn that day. And he says, I, and this is like, I, I, I hadn't been in the room five minutes, and he says, just want to give you a word. Uh, and here's the scripture. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I immediately thought, wow, that must be an important verse for me. But where were you at 5 o'clock is another thought I had, like you could have helped me with this. And he gave this wonderful devotion, which I call in this message synchronicity. Are our lives in some way, shape, or form synced up with heaven? while we're here on earth, is what we are doing matched, synced up with things in heaven? And I think that's an important thing to ask every now and again. Are we moving in a parallel way with heaven? Are we moving in the same direction, at the same speed, with the same purpose? Because if we are, we'll not burn out, we'll be life life receivers and life givers and our lives will count it will matter and we'll enjoy ourselves so I, I, I give you this verse Matthew 6 and 10 your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so let's talk about kingdom a lot of people are some people here are kind of new to the whole Bible thing kingdom is a reality of which there is a ruler there is a reign there is a purpose Uh, We have kingdoms on earth. Saudi Arabia is a kingdom, but it's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has its own king, has its own reign, has its own rule, has its own purpose, and has its own way of living. Has its own expectations, its own way of going about it. It's not necessarily visible, although we bear witness to its reality, kingdom of God. He says, your kingdom come. So what we want is, or should want in our hearts is we want this kingdom to flourish and to continue and to multiply while we're alive here on this earth. We want the kingdom to come. Sometimes you'll see in your Bible, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is within you. That's true too. But what we want is an increase in the kingdom of God and the way that God operates and reigns and rules on earth that is a dichotomy a, a total um, abrupt deviation from the way the world operates. There's a kingdom of this world. The kingdom, the prince of the kingdom of the air is the darkness. What we want is not that. We want the kingdom of God here on earth. When, and, and Jesus is teaching these disciples how to pray. Pray that the kingdom come. Now, that was a big deal for them because they're just now starting out, you know. We've got 2,000 years of momentum by the time we come along. But still, we want the kingdom of God to flourish here on earth. King, your kingdom come. Your will be done. I'm going to be honest about this. Uh, when I first uh, came out of my addiction years ago, 35, 37 years, whatever it was, heaven, I don't know, uh, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't that appealing to me. 
It seemed kind of uh, redundant. <laughs> like, I was just starting to live on this earth like in freedom and liberty, and I was just now starting to pursue God, and I was thinking, man, I'm having fun with this new life, you know. What do you want me to do, to stand there and sing all the time? That's kind of like the way I looked at it. Seemed a little, I don't know, like going to church all the time. So as I grew in my faith and became more mature, I began to realize, well, there is a heaven, but that's not what you're going to do the whole time. Eventually, there's a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Well, I don't know what all that means, but a new earth to me means uh, there could be some golf courses involved. I don't know. There could be a lot of things involved in that. A new earth, like a do-over. So I, I, I see the throne room of heaven, uh, doctrinally speaking, as a reality, and that reality is happening right now in a different realm. It's right there. It's happening, and we're running parallel to it, and hopefully we're mimicking kingdom of heaven on, in, in the throne room of God. But eventually, when this whole thing is over, and that all who are redeemed are redeemed, then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That's a shift. So having said that, I'm going to read to you from Revelation 4. This is the throne room of God. John the Revelator gives us a little bit of a look at what, what heaven's like. So I'm going to read this to you. Kind of listen to it. You've heard it before. Now kind of picture it in your mind, and that's what we're going to talk about. He said, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, the throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone, in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. That's pretty cool. Under the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns and gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. First living creature was like a lion, a second living creature like a face of a man, and a fourth living creature like a flying eagle. The four living creatures have, having six wings were full of eyes around and within, and, and, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Wow, what a sight. Whether the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. By your will they exist and were created. All right. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Where? in the throne room of God. Until this all plays out, apocalyptically, eventually we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, there it is. Wow. Notice the first thing that the voice, this, the, the, the escort says to, to, to John the Revelator on the island of Patmos. Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. Your life and mine Regardless of where we are right now, what we've been doing, how we feel, how we've been acting, 
Whatever the case may be, right now, I can tell you this, the kingdom of heaven that we want to come and what God wants for you and for I is, is to come up here, is, is to say, get your thinking up. He is the lifter of our head, okay, Psalm 3. God is interested in you and I being positive, encouraging, uh, thought-provoking, inspiring people that have a creativity that comes from the creator who can solve problems, who think probably above most people, that we have an attitude, that we have a gratitude, that we have a way of dealing with life that isn't in the muck and the mire of life. It isn't about complaining or arguing or bickering. It's about something transcendent. So God is calling you and I, uh, as we are to pray that the kingdom would be at hand here, is that uh, we get our thinking up. Now, when we get tired, when we are in the flesh, when we've had a lot to do, when we, don't, when we don't prioritize right or we try to do too much, what happens is our thinking gets low. Our expectations get low. Our weariness gets high. And we don't think and we're not moving upward. We have to approach each and every day and, and, I'm, gonna, and I, I'm not going to say this because this is what you think I'm going to say. We need to approach each and every day and be real positive. No. We need to approach each and every day where we fellowship with he who is positive, that through us, he's an encourager. That's different. See, one, one vacillates up and down. The other's consistent. Same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So we have, he says, come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. There's a door standing open in heaven, and John Revelator goes in there. He gives us, and what does he give us? He gives us his visual perspective on the throne room of God. So what do we, what do we determine then? God wanted us to see what John saw, because John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote it. Said another way, God does not want us to see less than what John saw, and God doesn't really want us to see more than what John saw. What John saw, God wants us to see. It's enough. It's enough to get the idea. You get too enamored with heaven, you're no good here on earth. We've got work to do, but he gave us just enough. See, the day is coming when no man can work. He gave us just enough to say, okay, I know where we're headed, and I know there's cookies involved. Now let's keep pressing on toward the goal to win the prize of which we have called heavenward in Christ Jesus. No more, no less. He's the lifter of our heads. If you're down today, you're bitter today, if you're just flat out exhausted today, or, or, you've considered taking your own life today, he says, come up here. Come up here, child. Come up here. I will show you what must take place after this. There's more. There's more than where you are right in this moment. There's more ahead. I've called you to something. You have a destination, and I want you to arrive in my time in this place. Come up here. He's the lifter of the head. You and I are called to live a transcendent life. You and I should have a peace that transcends all understanding, that guards our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He, he should be ready to give us more than we could ask or think or even imagine. That's transcendent. The, the, the worst thing a Christian can do is start getting uh, used to the idea that God's mediocre and average. 
No, he's got something special planned, something big planned, something you have to stretch beyond your own abilities to accomplish. He's got things that, that, that you seemingly, you look at something right now and you go, you actually want me to go through this one-year program? I haven't been able to do something for one week. What do you mean one year? No, God's not asking you to go through a one-year program. God's asking if he can go through the one-year program with you, and that's different. God wants us to journey with him. He wants to journey through us so that we can start to think that we can actually accomplish things far beyond. Said another way, if your Christian walk and your devotions and all the stuff that you do is based on your own self-discipline, I'm praying for you. your own want-to, your own stick-to-itiveness, your own commitment, all wonderful things. But they're gonna, they're gonna bring you so far below what God had in mind for you. You can't sing about reckless love of God and then go live like it's not. He's calling us to something rich, abundant, bountiful, life-altering, life-changing, and life-giving. He said, come up here. Notice also that there is a throne. It's a big thing in the throne room of God. It's a center throne and the one who sits on the throne, seated at the right hand of the Father, the Son. Now, let me say this, because this bears out, this is very rele relevant right now in the church, frankly. It has been a long time, but it's particularly relevant right now. There are no shortage of people who are really starting to get fired up about the Holy Spirit. And that, my friend, is a good thing. If it doesn't diminish the same amount of tension on the sun. There's many ministries out there, many denominations, many approaches to ministry. I've seen them all, minister to people from all the backgrounds. And here's what I noticed. There are those who will focus on the Father who gave us the Son and will have salvation through the Son and the Son will be the way to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. To the neglect of the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit that Jesus, before he died, prayed that would fellowship and be, have koinonia with us and use us for his glory. Said another way, there are those who focus so much on the Holy Spirit to the neglect of the Son. And they end up as goofy as anybody. We get off track. We need a healthy spiritual diet, a balanced approach. Like physically, if you're going to eat a, a well-balanced diet, what is it going to have in it? Fiber, fruit, vegetable, what else? Pizza. Am I wrong on that? I mean, Slaptown pizza's not in the, in the mix. You've got to eat a balanced diet, spiritually and physically, to produce what God wants you to produce. Okay. There's a throne, and Jesus is centric, and the Word is centric, and the cross is centric, and it's through the cross that we understand everything else. Notice something about you and me. This is what we have in common. Most people like to magnify something. Do we have any magnifiers here? 
Some people are, have you noticed this? Now, I know this does not apply to anybody in our church, but some people can be dramatic. Like a small thing gets magnified into a huge thing, right? Or we magnify one aspect of our life or one aspect of something we don't have or one aspect of something we want. We like to magnify, but what's the thing about heaven that's so interesting is that you get to magnify and magnify and magnify the one who sits on the throne. So all the practice we've had magnifying good things and bad things, we get to do on the throne room. We just get to magnify, 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 magnify because we've had a lot of practice. We're magnifiers. We magnify a pristine, clean, radiant, without spot or blemish lamb who took away the sin of the world. And I'm at fault if I think I could ever get tired of that because there are so many dimensions, so many facets, so many things about that lamb that it would take eternity to truly suffice the magnification that is due the one on the throne. In fact, going through life, we ought to make it our pursuit on some way, shape, or form, individually or as a couple, to figure out how we can learn more about this Christ so that we can magnify him in a just manner and our magnification only increases, as does our exaltation. Now that's when it gets fun because I think that's gonna happen in heaven. People from all different walks and tribes, dialects, languages, they're all going to be waves of magnification that come in and come in. One wave's going to take them higher and then another wave's going to take them higher. It's going to be unbelievable. Jesus the Christ. Notice there's seven spirits. What I like about that is seven means fullness. This I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I can't imagine. Uh, you got me there. I don't, I don't have the bandwidth for that. But you're going to put me in a throne room with these billions of souls that are worshiping and magnifying Christ, and it's going to be done in the fullness of the Spirit. Whew. I might be able to get through next week. And there in front is like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Wow, a reflector a reflector, a peaceful, pristine water reservoir that reflects the glory of God and the light show going on and, and everything else. Why did Jesus sit in the boat when he taught? Because he didn't have a microphone, because the water would magnify the sound. I can see all these billions of people singing in front of this sea of glass, clear as crystal, and it's just magnifying the sound, as if there's not enough sound, we're gonna magnify the sound because the magnified sound does a better job of coming due to magnify the one on the throne. I'll tell you what I like about it too. It makes the light brilliant. It makes the whole encounter centric. It's beautiful. It's unlike anything. The reverberation of the sound and the brilliant colors a sense of freedom. No one, not one single person there will be self-conscious. <laughs> Some for the first time in their entire existence, they will not be self-conscious. There will be no shame. There will be no holding back. Uh, there will be the greatest liberty. It's for freedom, freedom that Christ set us free. There will be nothing but liberty. 
Nobody will be worried about what anyone else thinks. Nobody will be trying to impress anybody. Nobody will have a fear of man. They'll all have reverence and awe of God. Wow. That'll be a new thing. You know how Adam and Eve all of a sudden experienced sin for the first time and the guilt, the remorse, the shame, the regrets, the filthiness of it all? Abruptly, they never experienced that before. That's what you and I are gonna experience. The, the total freedom of being you without having to do anything to be loved is gonna be in its purest, quintessential freedom you ever heard and you're just gonna sing and not worry about anything. Emphasize not worry about anything. What else will there not be in heaven? No death, no deterioration, no tears, no voice, no depression, no complaining, no bickering, no, no chemotherapy, no dialysis. No holds, footholds or strongholds. Imagine that. No worry, no anxiety, no fear. Oh, here's one, no war atrocities. No horror, no grief, no hopelessness, no suicide, no deception, no lying, no shame. No, not one, not one mass shooting. Oh, here's one, no snoring. I didn't mean to put my snoring on on par with a mass shooting, but no problems. Well, what else? Anybody got one? No what? Yeah, no Putin. It doesn't look good. No Putin. No what? No jail. Yes. Chocolate chip cookies right down there. <laughs> We're gonna get there. No hospital visitations. No praying over the sick. No weeping with the sick. No exhaustion, no frustration. No longing for your lost loved one. No widows, no widowers. No sin, no wondering. Oh my, no wondering what that baby would have turned out to be. Yeah, it's starting to sound pretty good. And there's a river of life. Jesus said at the Feast of Tabernacles, in the last eighth great day of the feast, out of you will flow rivers of living water. No thirst, no hunger, no poverty. Makes me think, you know, if I've got that to bank on, and that's where I'm headed, and that's where you're headed, and that's where we're going to be together. The only thing, I don't even know how this works, the only thing that could actually improve upon that experience. The only thing that could make that 
that experience in that throne room. Even better, if there is such a way to do that, I don't even know theologically if I'm even accurate here, but the only way to really make that better, it seems to me, could be wrong, if I didn't leave anything on the table down here. If I'm walking down those streets and I run into some guy that I shared the gospel with, that seems like an improvement. Some guy I encouraged or somebody that was in an open-air meeting in India 10 years ago came to Christ. That would make it better. Yeah, it seems like that would make it better because all you're going to want when you're there as you're enjoying this feast is to wonder if so-and-so's here, if so-and-so made it. So the destination almost makes it like, you know, maybe, maybe I need to take this more serious down here. Not to the point where it would alienate somebody or, put, or be off-putting, but make, here's what I need to make serious. My desire and my behavior to love more people, to prepare a little better, to pray a little more earnestly. I didn't say pray more. Pray a little more earnestly. To be a little more authentic. To be the lifter of someone else's head. To be an encourager, a Barnabas. To share something when I don't feel like it to go somewhere where I'm too tired, to hug a neck a little more often. Little things that as you're walking down the street, you, my goodness, that's what you don't want to hear. Ooh, I didn't expect to see you here. <laughs> what are you doing? You think those customers that have come your way are just customers? Think that person sitting in the pew behind you is just a person sitting in the pew? Think that, that time in the morning when you sit on your deck with that beautiful, rich, abundant, earthy cup of coffee is just for you to have the cup of coffee or you to pray down the stronghold over Franklin and Whittier. That I'm a, you're a minister and a priest of the Most High God and you have a mantle of authority over you that Cannot, cannot, cannot go misused. You have a calling, you have gifts, you have a purpose, you have a mission, you have a message, you have a testimony. Yeah, we're back at the station wagon now, and we've got to get to work. Suffice to say, for the next few moments, or the last previous few moments, You're headed in the right direction. Just don't leave too much on the table. Isaiah 30 and 21, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Notice I started with on earth as it is in heaven. Are you worshiping? Are you singing? 
Are you, are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Are you free? Are you free of self-consciousness? Are you ministering to other people? Are you walking in unity with others? Are you Christ-centric? Are you pursuing the fullness of the Spirit? Are you answering the invitation to come up in your thinking, in your encouragement, in your ministry? Where is your ministry right now, by the way? What is your ministry? Where is your ministry? What's happening in your ministry? Because if my ministry is to speak to you and you have no ministry, you need to get someone else to speak to you that can get you to have your ministry. Because my ministry is grossly ineffective and worthy of basically nothing if you don't have a ministry. My job is to equip God's people for works of service. Your job is to do the work of service. If you've got that inverted, you are sadly mistaken. Would you rather everyone rally around me and my ministry to get something done on this plateau? Or when you get to heaven and say, what happened? Well, I don't know, Gary's back there, we just helped him. Oh, how about I help you get the job done with the people God's brought in your life? And you, you bring them up to a transcendent way of living, thinking, believing, loving, acting, serving. There's things to do here. There's no shortage of things to do here. And that begs the final question. Well, let's talk about heaven, but what about, what about hell? Come on up, guys. What about hell? There are no shortage of people that I've come across my path in recent weeks, months, years that are living. It's, it, it's hell on earth, just like you can have heaven on earth. Their, their, were, their lives are getting worse. They're feeling less than. They're looking down, not up. They're hurting. They're perishing. You know, we need to be thinking about this. We need to be doing something about this. We need to continue to do something about this. The day is coming when we don't need a sheriff, but we do now. The day is coming when there's not going to be any pain, but there's plenty now. There's, no, there's plenty of loneliness and alienation and addiction, and all those things are around us. They're not in us, but they're around us. You can't run from them. You can't deny them. And you can't expect someone else to do something about it. Can't legislate your way through it. You have to get in there and mix it up. If you're not called to do that in certain areas, find out who else is around here and let's go do it. Because there's no way I'm gonna go to heaven and hear someone say, dude, you didn't do anything. I don't have to do anything to get there, but believe. But you're God's handiwork. You're God's craftsmanship. I'm God's handiwork and God's craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Let's keep our eye on the ball. Let's rest in the reality that there's absolute bliss ahead. But let's not deny the fact there's work to do in the meantime. You know that, and you live that, and that's what I love about you. That's what I love about you.